and good morning once again. The current time is 9 a.m. on the dot, and it is Wednesday, the 23rd of December. Welcome to Community Pulse, your locally produced program about the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri on your community radio station, KOPN. As a reminder of our production schedule, you can listen to Community Pulse live Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. If you happen to miss out on anything, never fear. We post it to our website, kopn.org, also our Facebook feed, and you can even find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So on this uh, on today's program, we will be comparing communities. Uh, joining us today to be interviewed by public health advocate and host Ginny Chadwick is Davis Dunneman. Davis is a graduate of the Missouri School of Journalism, but he currently works at WSHU. That's an NPR affiliate in Fairfield County, Connecticut. So we will be talking about how different communities are handling the coronavirus pandemic at the present time. A warm welcome, Mr. Donovan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Yes, thanks, Dave, for joining. So for our listeners, as we always start the morning, uh, Matthew Holloway's data. Um, and as we know, uh, Matthew is a you know, regular community citizen who's been tracking this virus since um, early March. And so he reported 3,826 cases identified within 76 jurisdictions, so just shy of 4,000 cases yesterday and 100 deaths. I remember when I first started talking to Dr. Alleman about um, the virus and the span of it in early March and seeing some predictions that had come out of, um, I believe, the University of Washington on what the virus would look like and that if we didn't overwhelm our healthcare system, that the virus would peak in Missouri around October and that we would see an average death rate of 100 deaths per day. Um, during that peak. And, you know, as we know, we are still rising. Um, We don't know if we've hit a peak or not, but um, we are now at about 100 deaths per day, which I I think that is just phenomenal, right, in this process that 100 Missourians are dying each day. So we've had 5,971 Missourians die so far of COVID-19 identified deaths. And now over, we have broken 400,000 identified cases of COVID-19 in the state of Missouri. Um, Davis, thank you for joining us. Um, For our listeners, Davis was my neighbor, and (laughs) when I believe he was in grad school for a long time ago. And you know, I noticed that you had posted that you were in Columbia, and um, but I know you live in Connecticut, so. Um, For our listeners, can you just tell us a little bit about you as a reporter and, um, you know, what it's like in Connecticut, what brings you here? Um, And, you know, I know that that's a lot of questions, but just give us a background on you. Sure. Uh, Well, yes, I was. We were neighbors long, long time ago, (laughs) like like four to five lifetimes ago now. Um, and <laughs> Well, with COVID, it's been 10 years. Oh, yeah, since, what, yeah October right? was four to five lifetimes ago now. Um, so, yeah, I, was, I, I got my master's here at the uh, School of Journalism, and I ended up in Connecticut, uh, where I have been for eight years, and for, for six of those years, I've been working for an NPR affiliate, WSHU, in uh, Connecticut. Uh, I have, my, my partner is actually in the uh, doctoral program, the PhD program here at the University of Missouri, though. And so I spend 
a lot of my time in Missouri. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and typically that's been vacations and, you know, holidays and things. But with with COVID, that ended up, it ended up that in the spring, I sheltered in place here for about right. two months. And I'm here again now. I'm not going to be here for two months, but I'm, I'm here for uh, about a month right now as well. So mm-hmm. I will say, you know, I will say that I was here for what in Connecticut was, I think, the, the worst um, the, the worst period that we have had so far we're entering. Obviously, we're, we're peaking as well right now. Our numbers are, are, are doing what yours are in, in, in similar ways, right? They're rising and rising. So, um, rising, but when we say similar ways, I think that it's important to note that Connecticut is one of the states with the lowest rates of infection. Is that still holding true? Right now, yes. Right now, yes, it is. Um, now, ours is, it depends on, you know, everything is relative. If, you, if you'd compared what we're at now to where we were three or four months ago, I think, you know, we all have a tendency just to look at our state as the, or our home as the center of the universe, right? So in mm-hmm. Connecticut, there's a lot of people who are saying, oh, we're, everything is falling apart. Our uh, test positivity rate, which is a number that we really put a lot of importance, I think it's really important to, to kind of look at that as the main number. Our test positivity rate is 6.67 right now at least when i looked at the data yesterday that's what it was and for our listeners just to remind them right now boone county is um sitting at so we have been over 30 yeah. percent um a good you know three weeks now we're at 32.2 percent positivity rate and remind our listeners what a positivity rate is davis Right. So, you know, the number of people who get tested, it's the number of people who test positive out of people who get tested. And it's, yeah. it's a really important number in a lot of ways because it's, it's adjusted, right? It's, it's balanced. You know, when we talk about how many people have tested positive, obviously that's a really important number. You know, it, 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 in a way it puts uh, uh, worth to everybody who's tested positive, right? You're saying, well, mm-hmm. you know, 3,000, 4,000 people have tested positive. Well, we're acknowledging every single one of those people. But the test positivity rate is so important uh, for, for a lot of reasons, one of them being that, you know, as I'm sure we're going to talk a, about a little bit, it, tests are not equally available everywhere. Right. And so in, in Connecticut, I think one of the reasons we have been worried in the past few weeks is that our test positivity rate was about 1% for most of the summer and the fall. Our, our test positivity rate was very, very low. We were at one point, I don't remember exactly what point it was, I want to say with July or mm-hmm. August, we were the lowest in, in the nation. And, mm-hmm. uh, and now, you know, we're seeing it go up. So, you know, as I said, when we see ourselves as the center of the universe, you know, people in Connecticut aren't comparing themselves to the Midwest. You know, they're, they're, they're looking at where they were three or four months ago. Right. And the reaction has been, uh, it was very quick. I want to say it was three or four weeks ago now that uh, our governor, Ned Lamont, moved us back to phase two of our reopening, which means 50% capacity in restaurants. Uh, it means um, uh, some, some services have closed. Um, I have the rules here. Uh, 50% for indoor recreation, 50% for libraries. Um, uh, no gatherings of more than 10 people right now. And, you know, we and, and most definitely mask requirements everywhere, indoors. Everywhere, so we've, state, statewide. Every, oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. 
in Connecticut, to give our listeners some perspective, it's about half the size by population um, of the right. state of Missouri. So it's 3.5 million. We have 6.6 million. So, I mean, we're not talking about a small state like, um, and people geographically don't think of New Mexico as a small state, but by population, it's just one of right. the smallest states. Um, so, you know, it's not the biggest state of Connecticut, you know, Connecticut isn't, but it's, it's half the population of Missouri. And the entire population is covered by a mask mandate. And, you know, I was driving downtown to pick up my takeout order yesterday. And as I was driving through the downtown area, I saw a lot of people on the crowded streets without a mask on. Do you see that as you're out and about in Connecticut? No, <laughs> no, no, you don't. You don't see that. Um, I will say, you know, and it's just, it depends. I, I'm not going to say that this is some paradise where every single person that you see is wearing a mask. It's right. And, and it's, this isn't black and white, right? I mean, it's, you know, there are places where people fight the mask mandate everywhere, you know, um, even in the bluest states. And I wish this weren't a political issue. I wish I didn't have to say that. But for whatever reason it is, I don't think it's a political issue. So I think masks, I think a mask mandate is a fantastic idea, but I don't see that as politics. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 but the difference really comes when you go inside, when you go indoors. Um, you know, if it, I'm out, yeah, sorry, yes. Go ahead, keep going. If I'm outside, if I'm if I'm walking my dog or I'm I'm, I'm on a, a, a hike or a, a jog or something, right? I'd say maybe seventy five percent of people are wearing masks. And if somebody's not, I'm outside. I feel a little better. I mean, we know that the virus doesn't spread as well outside, so. I can give people a wide berth. I mean, I can, you know, 10 feet out of my way. It's not a big deal. Indoors, um, I'll tell you a, an example of something that I just saw yesterday. There's a, um, it, it, a video went viral in Connecticut of a guy going into a Barnes & Noble without a mask on. And one person, <laughs> right? One person. <laughs> and you can see the reaction from people. It was as if he was not wearing pants. And I think... I, I mean, I honestly think the, the horror on people's faces <laughs> at seeing some, one person without a mask, like people, people left the building to get away from him. I mean, it was and, and this is one person. So, like I said, it's not 100 percent, but it's enough that if one person doesn't do it, it's a major violation of social protocol. Right. And so it's a cultural difference that's happening. Yeah. And so when you when you're back here with your partner and you're experiencing the culture here in Missouri. You know, I shared with our listeners that I was in Eldon, Missouri, um, and, you know, nobody indoors wears a mask there. I stopped by a gas station, and, you know, I was the only one wearing a mask, and I, I felt like I had a third eye, right? So right. how do you feel that the culture changes when you're here? Well, I, I, first, I should say I, I, try not to, I try not to go anywhere. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm visiting family, so I've been, I've been sheltering in place. I haven't been going anywhere, and I'm going to use every precaution visiting family as well. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going out, really. I, I've been out uh, a couple of times to walk the dog and to get tested since I got back to Connecticut. And when, when I was here the first time, when I was here in April and May, I didn't go out either. I, and, in fact, I, I, one quick story to tell you about this to, to illustrate this culture thing. Uh, this was at the end of May and I was getting ready to drive back to Connecticut. So I went and got all new tires on my car and I went into this tire place. And this is, I think the only time I actually went 
indoors to a public establishment in two months of being in Colombia. And mm-hmm. I, I go in this place as, as I'm going in, this guy, this kind of young guy, probably about 20, um, holds the door open for me. And I'm like, you know, no thanks. I, I'm wearing a mask. He's not wearing a mask. Like, no thanks. I kind of like stop and like pretend to check my phone or something. Like, wave him on. And he's like, what? You, you don't want to get near me? You think I'm going to give you COVID? And I, this guy, I mean, like, the aggression and the rage at me wearing a mask, not wanting to be near him was disturbing. I mean, it, and he ended up like, I had, I had to call the police. I mean, he like followed me to my car. I mean, he was terrifying. Um, and that's, that's one of my few interactions with people that I've actually had here. And I just, you know, I hear these stories about people. It's so weird how much of a para, uh, an alternate universe, it seems like, you know, when you're the only person in a place wearing a mask, and people look at you like that. I mean, it's, I, 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 I can't imagine how you can, uh, I, I just, yeah, I, I feel there's bad definitely a culture of acceptance. And, you know, I flew to DC in July. And yeah. um, once I got there, I really felt like I was on a different planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to describe to people here in Missouri. And I know that, you know, most of our listeners, you know, we're engaged, we're wearing masks, and we're, we get frustrated when we go in to, you know, the girls and I went into a store three nights ago and um, the the clerks were wearing their masks below their nose, right? Uh, And, you know, like, I think that most of our listeners that (laughs) are listening to Community Post, you know, they are also getting frustrated with the, the rebellion or the culture that doesn't accept mask wearing. But, you know, Connecticut didn't get to where they were in keeping their positivity rate down without access to to services, right? And it's something as simple as testing. So what does testing look like in Connecticut as far as access? So I I can speak a little bit to my local. uh, I can speak very much to my my local testing environment and a little bit to the statewide just from reporting on it. Uh, but in my, I, so I live in Bridgeport, which is the, the largest city in Connecticut, and its population mm-hmm. is actually comparable to Columbia. It's about the same size. It's a very different city. It's not a college town. It's got a lot of um, issues with uh, systemic racism and, and, and poverty and income inequality uh, that are – it's got its own problems, right? But what I will say is that in any given day, uh, and there's a very easily accessible website where you can check this, and the city of Bridgeport promotes it heavily. Any given day, there are 10 to 15 probably locations in and around Bridgeport where you can get free community testing. No insurance, no doctor's note, no cost. You don't have to register. You just sign up. You just show up. You don't have to sign, sign up at all. You just you show up, and uh, anybody can. And you get the test, you know, one swab, because it's only one nostril now. And, uh, and then you go and, you know, two to four days later, depending on, you know, you get your results back and mm-hmm. all you have to do is give them your email address. And it's, it's not only the, the, the availability, the widespread availability of it, but the encouragement from the leadership that I think is really different here. Um, the, the mayor, from, from the mayor of Bridgeport to up to, you know, our governor, Ned Lamont. Uh, everybody is strongly encouraging you to get tested as frequently as possible. And why not? These tests are not, they're not, they're not in demand. They're not rare. They're not expensive. There's no shortage of them. There's no reason at all. And this is, this is not just true for Connecticut. This is theoretically could be true everywhere with good management. Anybody could have access to a glut, a surplus of these tests. 
Uh, in in uh, I I'm an adjunct professor at a, a university in Connecticut, and during the semester, we were doing random tests of fifty percent of our student student body every week. Every week, fifty percent of the students uh, were randomly assigned to go get a COVID test. And I, I don't know if you've re- probably having a partner at the university you probably are aware, but, you know, the University of Missouri did not encourage testing um, upon reentry or upon, you know, there was no surveillance testing done. Um, There was only testing for students who had symptoms or were direct contacts. And students were reporting that it was very hard to get tested. And in fact, for a while, you know, there was no test in close proximity and walking distance from the university. So, you know, the Chronicle of Higher Education put out the five biggest lessons learned on how COVID is spreading on campuses on December the 3rd. And, you know, one of the lessons was that it's really important to have, which I, I think is no surprise to us, um, both entry and surveillance testing is critical. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, the University of Missouri, so I am a parent of a University of Missouri student, um, who received an email that said that they will require student undergraduates living on campus um, to have a mandatory test before returning on January the 19th. But when you're saying you guys are testing 50% of the student body, is that just on-campus students or is that students? That's any student who, well, that's not just living on campus because we're, we do have dorms, but we're also a really big commuter school. Um, so any student who will be on campus. So if you're, if you know, a lot of students work on campus or, you know, if you're having classes, because we had most of our classes went to 50% capacity. So actually all of our classes went to 50% capacity and most of our classes went to once every other week. I mean, we really, really scaled down. Um, So uh, we had very few students on campus, but any student who was going to be on campus physically uh, had to get tested. Okay, so point of entry, and then you were doing mm-hmm. surveillance testing throughout right. the right, which is how we identify cases, right? And, right. and you know, as the Clinical of Higher Education has reported, it's a it's a way to identify. So we, you know, first step, baby steps for the university, they are doing point of entry for students who are living on campus. Um, so you know, we report Matthew Holloway's data, right? for mm-hmm. the state of Missouri. Um, and then Boone County Health Department is doing a rock star job. And I want to shout out to them. Um, they did report that there was 102 new cases yesterday. So, you know, again, we're breaking that 100 mark often. We had four deaths in our county um, yesterday and three deaths the um, day prior. So our, our death rate is definitely going up. Um, we're seeing more of the older population um, with the virus. Um, that is partially probably because the University of Missouri did decide to go remote after Thanksgiving, so our student population hasn't been in town, mm-hmm. but our numbers haven't dropped since they left. Where do you guys turn as we turn to Joe Blow, and I say Joe Blow in the most loving way to Matthew Holloway, as we turn to Joe Blow to get our data? Where do you well, guys turn to get yours? <laughs> well, I was actually thinking about about that when I, when I learned that you had this guy, Matthew Holloway, who's fantastic. I mean, I just... Ever since I learned about this guy, you know, when I got here, just an incredible job. We don't have one person doing the legwork like that. And I mean, superhero, right? I mean, like, absolute superhero that he is. 
No, I mean, uh, from I mean, like, and I'm not going to say our state is perfect, and I'm also not going to talk politics, you know. So, I'm, but I'm not going to say our state is perfect. We made mistakes, but from the governor to our Department of Public Health, uh, all the way down throughout our system to our, you know, to I, I, everybody is kind of pulling their weight in Connecticut. Um, yeah. There's some bad apples, but I mean, our, our university system has been pulling its weight. You know, with not my, my school's private, but our public university system has been pulling its weight. Our cities and towns have been pulling their weight, and considering, you know. Connecticut and Missouri were kind of in the same boat with the first round of, of uh, PPP, right? So um, uh, I, I think we have been, we had a governor and we had a state that was at the very beginning because of how hard we got hit at first. You know, we were one of the first states to get hit, hit, hit hard. Obviously, states have gotten hit much harder than we have since then. We have been, since then, everybody has been, on edge. I mean, we've been we've been ready for it to come back, and we're not. We don't have to turn to any one particular person. I'd say within the city of Bridgeport alone, I can think of two or three agencies, and I include the city itself in that, who are pretty open and receptive that you could turn to um, if uh, you have any questions, if you need data. I mean, the data is widely widely available, but I mean from resources on how to get tested to, you know, what do you do if you test positive to, you know, all the way down. I mean, we have many, many resources available. And you reported on um, stool um, in, in finding, you know, the COVID um, in, in the stool samples. And you guys, you know, very early on, we found out that um, there was a researcher at the university of Missouri that was contracted with the state to do stool samples. Um, Yeah. We were told that that data would become available. Um, I haven't seen or heard it. If it's out there, I can't find it. But you guys have sewer samples. So tell yeah. me about that. Yeah. Uh, so this actually, this came from Yale University. We had a, a researcher who, I actually didn't know about your uh, the University of Missouri researcher who was working on that, but I know a few different people were around the same time. So Yale University uh, our the, his idea was that we could get basically basically a community snapshot, right? And it would mm-hmm. give us advance warning. So mm-hmm. testing is one thing, but testing has a lag, right? I mean, when you're testing people, that means they already they've you know been exposed and they maybe have exposed people since you know before they you know, maybe maybe exposed people on the way in to get tested, you know. Um, but what what the sewage samples show was a, a community snapshot how much COVID is in the sewage. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's gross to talk about. We made jokes about it when we were doing the reporting, obviously. Oh, but, yes, uh, <laughs> okay. We just thought we yeah. would get the data, but clearly you guys did. <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, we were able to find some pretty incredible things. Back in uh, mid-November, when we started seeing that, that increase, we were mm-hmm. able to pinpoint where that increase was going to be. And I mean, no surprise, it was on our in our cities, right? I mean, our, our, our big cities, New Haven, Bridgeport, Hartford, started to see the increases first. And then if you look now at where we have our biggest spikes, it, it mapped perfectly. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's been very effective. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely worth following up on that, um, especially in a place like, you know, Missouri, where we have much, uh, there's a much more diverse, I think, um, distribution of people than what we have in Connecticut. Uh, you can 
look at, you know, the cities, the suburbs, the small towns, the very, very rural areas even. I don't know how they do their sewage there, but you could, you know, probably look at them. Mm-hmm. And you can predict, you know, where these these upticks are going to be in, uh, in, in, in COVID. Uh, sometimes, you know, a, a week, two weeks before they actually show up. Yeah, and that's what we understood. And it was interesting to hear you reporting on that to actually have the data because mm-hmm. we were under the, um, you know, the impression that um, we are collecting um, stool samples from approximately 80% of the state of Missouri <laughs> to identify. Wow. Yes. So the uh, systems are in place to collect yeah. these stool samples. Um, and it was our understanding um, pa- based on past reporting that we would, the state health department would have that information publicly available on their website you know, and this was back um, many months ago that we mm-hmm. identified that uh, this was taking place. So, yeah, it, it's just the access to data, right? And knowing right. what's happening for elected officials, for community members, to have that advanced warning and know where resources need to be placed, right? Yeah, I mean, when you said eighty percent, I was—I mean, I—I I grew up in rural Missouri. I'm, you know. I know how I know what rural Missouri. I, I'm surprised that you could get sewage from 80 percent of the state. I mean, it's you know how, how what 50 percent of the state is is so rural that I mean that's that's a lot of collection. Uh, yeah. And I, I just, well, yeah, we were doing to... water collection samples, and so uh-huh. it, you know, and and past listeners can listen to our our <laughs> sample um, interview that we did um, with the University of Missouri professor. So I do want to touch on um, you know violations in businesses. Do you guys have mm-hmm. bars open in Connecticut right now? Yeah. Uh, bars and restaurants are, are there at 50% capacity. And if you go into them, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I've not been to any bars and restaurants in, in Missouri, so I, I don't know exactly what you're doing. Uh, but when you go into them here, uh, almost everybody's eating outdoors if it's available, and almost everyone has made outdoor dining much more widely available. Uh, but if you do go inside, people are spaced out. Um, and we have the big, do you have the, like the plexiglass walls? Do we have them indoors at the restaurants? Not most restaurants, no. Oh, really? We, it's, it's a requirement, actually. If you're going to be open, you have to have the plexiglass in, in, in Connecticut. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I, I've been out to eat a few times. And really, I mean, about 50% of people just aren't going out to eat right now. So the capacity mm-hmm. works out pretty well. Um, but... Generally speaking, I mean, yeah, they're open, and you're probably not going to, you know, go to them unless the levels are a little lower and you feel a little more comfortable with it. But uh, the 50% capacity does make a really big difference. Yeah. So, I mean, as our listeners know, our bars and restaurants are open. They are at reduced capacity. But, um, you know, we know that many businesses have been cited for violation, Um so KMIZ did um, publish a report this morning uh, at about 6 a.m. on the businesses who have been fined. So it looks like um, Brookside, who we all know had the big party on the rooftop, was fined the most of any business so far, $500 with some court fees, making it $524. Most of the businesses who have received a fine, which is only six businesses in, this, in Boone County or in the city of Columbia so far, have received a $100 fine plus the court fee of $2,450. Um, and, you know, businesses that we have talked about pre- previously on the show, like the Missouri Country Club, um, Truman's Bar and Grill, Silver Ball, um, they have not, they have received a violation notice, but have received no fines 
for violation. And then we have some businesses um, that, such as Logbroke Brewery, Fifth um, Downtown Bar and Grill, um, Burger King, that are on the list awaiting court dates. Um, you know, court dates seem to be very far in the future based on the time that the businesses were cited. So it's really interesting to see, um, you know, this is a deadly virus that um, we're at risk of spreading. And most businesses were cited for violations of um, failure for employees to wear masks. So or, um, so any idea what the business violation is in Connecticut if they are um, found in violation? As you, you know, point out, you know, it, it's, a, it's definitely a social and cultural thing for somebody to be in there without a mask. But penalties on the business? I'm sorry, did you say $100? The fine is 100 Yes, I did. Ours is 10000 Yes. <laughs> $100 is nothing. $100 means nothing. That's not a penalty. That, that means absolutely nothing. And I mean, I'm not trying to be, you know, I, I think as a reporter, I try to remain a little bit distant, but I, it's just, that just means nothing. That's going to change nothing. It's, they will do nothing differently. Uh, no, 10000 And we, we've had, uh, of the violations that we've had, I mean, we've had a few, um, I'm thinking of one in particular where I think there was a, this was, um, it's up to, I should say it's up to 10,000, but one that I remember. Davis, I'll warn you, we have one minute left. (laughs) (laughs) One one that I remember in particular was $1,500, and that was where they weren't spacing out to six feet and they weren't wearing masks. So I I don't think $100 is going to change anybody's mind. Yeah. Okay, last thoughts. For our listeners, as you reflect on the differences that you're experiencing, I have to report one last thing that's very important. So GS Labs, it now has rapid COVID testing available as of last week in Columbia, Missouri. When you were doing your searches, did you find this place? Uh, yeah, I did see it. I'm a little skeptical of rapid testing. I know that the, the, the um, I mean, if it's what's available, I'll take it. But I know that it's certainly not as accurate as the PCR. Correct. So they have an antigen test that's available in 20 minutes. They have the rapid mm-hmm. antibody test, which is available in 20 minutes. And they do have the PCR, as you note. It is more reliable. It does mm-hmm. take time to get results back. Um, how long did it take to get your results back? Uh, I, uh, for the rapid test? Well, I, haven't had, I, I had a rapid test in the summer, and it, it, you know, it was a 15-minute thing. Um, my test that I had yesterday morning was a PCR, and I haven't seen my results yet, but I expect to see it by tomorrow. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us, Davis. Back to you in the studio, Peter. Thank you very much, Ginny, and thank you also to Davis Donovan for joining us today to talk about some of the differences uh, between Missouri and Connecticut, uh, some of them borderline uh, humorous and sad of course but uh, at any rate if you happen to miss part of that conversation we will have it up online on our website kopn.org later today also on our facebook feed along with relevant uh, links uh, pertaining to the discussion and the next time that we will be coming live to you will be monday at 9 a.m with dr elizabeth alleman once again until then we wish you a pleasant weekend Uh, merry christmas as well might as well throw that in there please stay safe and stay informed columbia Yeah.